0: So while I'm still getting this set up, um, I have a couple of n- a little bit unrelated trivia questions just to get you started. Um, who wrote the book of Hebrews? I know there's no... We don't know. We don't really know. Okay, I, I understand that we, there's no agreement on it, but do, do you have an opinion? Oh. I mean, do you believe Paul did it? I obviously don't have an answer. I can't say right or wrong. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit? Good answer. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. I'll give points to the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay. Uh, does anybody think somebody besides Paul wrote it? Like you, you kind of feel that way? Okay. So uh, one, more, one more question. Who wrote, which author of the New Testament wrote more of it than any other author? Paul. Paul. Any other guesses? <laughs> which human? Which of the human authors that pinned down the Bible? Uh, John. Okay, so like the the obvious answer that comes to mind is Paul, right? He lo- he wrote like at least thirteen books of the New Testament. You think he wrote pretty much the whole thing, right? Um, i I've, I've actually copied and pasted all of the text from. Uh, Different books, all of Paul's books, counted words. Okay, I wish this was in presentation mode. I'm getting notices from work here. Um, If Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, then Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. If he didn't, then he did not. Luke did. Just a fun fact. Luke and Acts make up more of the New Testament than Paul's writings. He wrote most of the books. He wrote the biggest number of books, yes, but as far as the volume, how much is in the New Testament, um, and I, that was a total surprise to me, like I, I was shocked. Okay, so what we're going to go over today, the book here, Chris mentioned last time, there's a book by Erwin Lutzer, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. Um, I've had this book on my shelf for a long time. Uh, I didn't get around to reading it, and then it just, you know, got put back on the shelf. I've always wanted to. And when Chris said what he was going to be teaching, I thought, now's the time. I need to get that out and uh, look over it. So we're going to go over, uh, we're basically going to go through the book, okay? This is going to be very much taken from the book. Um, we're going to cover probably just the introduction today, and, and then in probably two additional lessons Uh, cover the the seven reasons themselves Um, let's see i'm trying to figure out how to there we go so where we are today we live in a day where there's a lot of spirituality you know there was the there was the modern era where you know science was supposed to get rid of religion and all that well we're past that. There's plenty of spirituality. Um, the trouble is, is it's just whatever you wanna believe. Um, it, there's this notion of my truth and your truth, and you know, well, you can, you can believe the Bible, but that's not my truth. You know, I'm whatever gender I wanna be, I'm a cat, you know, they're putting litter boxes in some schools. For pe- I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, it really, it's absurd. But this is the, this is the day we live in. Uh, it's whatever truth you want to believe that they'll consider that truth yeah my truth every opinion is counted just as valid as every other opinion right this is this is what we're living in so if Christians are going to stand in the days ahead uh, we have to be convinced that we have a word from God that we have a message from him Francis Schaeffer said, only a strong view of scripture can withstand the powerful pressure of relativistic thinking. Okay, sorry, I'm still figuring out, I've never used this program before, making sure what's going to happen here. Um, So, not long ago, I mean, I feel in in my lifetime, when I was a kid, for sure, people respected the Bible. Um, You didn't have to believe it, but there was still a respect. Even church, preachers, you know, uh, you could be uh, the worst sinner there was, but, you know, you can look at at old movies. They portrayed it this way, right? Uh, Old Westerns or whatever. The preacher came through. Uh, So even if you didn't believe it, you respected it. Even if you didn't practice it, um, we acknowledge, people acknowledge that it mattered. Like, even if you don't think that it's God's word, it makes a difference whether it's God's word. And why would that matter? Because, because truth matters. Um, or I should put that in the past tense, right? Truth mattered to people. It was, uh, people thought that truth wasn't something that you found within yourself. It wasn't something that you just thought up and you believe it just because you believe it and that's what you like, right? It was something that you had to discover. It was something outside of yourself. Um, You know, you could debate with people. You could discuss things. um, You could look at evidence. And this is how you discover truth. Okay, that's not how it is now, right? Nobody asks, is that true? What do they ask? Is it meaningful to me? Does it matter to me? Do I like it? Uh, does it suit my needs? Uh, so the Bible it, today is being rejected. It's being reinterpreted to fit any belief you could say, "Oh, the Bible. You know, it's it's another religious book. It has some good ideas, not necessarily true, uh, but I like I like that it says this little thing, and I'm going to make it mean this. This is kind of how the Bible's treated today. So, there's no umpire for beliefs. Let's see." if if i say this is true you say that's true who's to decide if the bible is not god's word if it's not given from him if it's not the authority then it's kind of a you know he said she said you know everybody uh is on equal footing so if you if you tell people if you're in the workforce you're not at a christian place to work or uh, If you're around a a public school, especially maybe not even in this part of the country, but here too, Uh, I've found this to be true at um, my last couple of workplaces. If you tell people that you believe in the Bible, what do you think the reaction is? Maybe not out loud, maybe it is, but you kind of feel it, right? Um, Just by the way they live and the way they act and things they say, you know, if you say that we need to return to the Bible, that we need to live according to its standards, what do people, you know, do they They kind of look at you like... They you think you're a bigot. Yeah. yeah. So they think it's like it's considered like radical. Yeah. 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 yeah, that is definitely one reaction. They think you're a, you're a bigot. You're going to judge them. So they tighten up around you because you're going to judge them. Yeah. And I think there's another reaction too is uh, some people, you know, they, they do want to be tolerant of all lifestyles and they don't want to maybe judge you but they they still feel sorry for you like it's one of those you know (laughs) okay have have fun living your life probably no talking to you because you're you're stuck in that but uh, uh I feel sorry for you you know you're stuck in the past so Erwin Lutzer said that the real battle is not moral the battle of our day it's not about rampant pornography, the desecration of our educational system, which is terrible, Those, both of these things, abortion on demand, which this book was written uh, before last year's decision on Roe versus Wade, but there's still battles, you know, it's up to the states now, It's not the issue's not gone. These are not the biggest battle of our day, according to Dr. Lutzer. Um, what he says, the, where the battle is, is we need we need to answer the question has God spoken has he left us a trustworthy revelation uh, that tells us how we can be reconciled to him if you're just arguing these points uh, the, these moral points but you have no authority to say it it's like well how do you know that's right or wrong you know what what makes you the judge but if God has spoken, then that makes all the difference. So th- this is where the battle is. We need to be convinced ourselves and we need to share the message that God has spoken to us. He's left his revelation. And are there good reasons to believe that the Bible is God's word? And obviously from the title of the book and, and the theme of it, yes. Uh, we're, we're gonna argue that there are very good reasons Uh, to believe that so people today believe that uh, the Bible was written by men not by God men just wrote it down Um, all religions are the same right I've heard this uh, from years ago like a, a co-worker from Iran he was saying you know the the religion Islam Christianity everybody's fighting with each other said it's so ridiculous they're all the same they all they all just point to God I was like no they're not mm-hmm. the same they're not you know the the God Allah that's described in the Quran is does not have the same characteristics that Jehovah from the Bible has that uh, is not the same and the practice and the teaching and the morality and everything. Uh, But this is the view that everything points in one direction. There are only minor differences. We just get to pick from a menu, right? And uh, as Casey and some others pointed out, believing that the Bible is from God is bigoted, right? Um, You just, you don't have tolerance and love in your heart if you believe what the Bible teaches. So Christianity claims to be a revealed religion. It was given to us, it was shown to us from God, as opposed to what um, Lutzer calls naturalistic religions, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age religions. Uh, These these were given by gurus, prophets, uh, enlightened leaders who claim to have a better understanding of the world, how things work, how we ought to live than the rest of us, right? Um, so they're subjective. they're based on what the leaders thought, what people think about it. Um, but there, as far as revealed religions goes, there's more than Christianity, right? There's, uh, there are non-Christian revealed religions Mary Baker, Eddy, Christian Science, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, um, what, What's the difference? If they claim that they have a revelation from God and Christianity claims it has a revelation from God, well then, you know, what would make one more happen than the other? Hey, Billy? Yeah. Quick question, back to Hinduism and, and Buddhism. You said those kind of stemmed from, back one more. Yeah. They stem from people who said they were more enlightened. Do we think those stemmed out of like ancient Gnosticism? Because that was kind of um, head knowledge, a head religion? I haven't reviewed for this lesson where they came from, but for instance, Buddhism. I think it came around, uh, you know, in the six hundreds. Because um, they're not very old, I don't think. Right? I mean, comparatively speaking. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe both of them. One came out of the other, and it was around the seventh century. I think. I could be wrong. Like I said, I didn't review it, but uh, you know, generally it was started. One person had a. A revelation. I don't know. You know, maybe. And I'm not trying to make fun, really. I don't know. Drug use, uh, demon influence. Who knows? Uh, for all these different things, um, and uh, you know, like Muhammad. Well, I'm sorry. That was the next slide on the the revealed. But uh, yeah, I, I I haven't reviewed how they developed or where they came from, but it. Obviously, I don't think anyone argues differently than it, it came from people, right? It's really, What they consider really wise people or uh, somehow discovered some secrets to the universe the rest of us don't have. Gotcha. Um, so for a revelation to be from God, it has to be tested, right? For consistency, authenticity, truth. Um, if we got a message from God, you would expect that it would stand up to some rigorous investigation, right, evaluation. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, truth is tough. It will not break like a bubble at a touch. Nay, you may kick it about all day like a football, and it will be round and full at evening. Um, in other words, you don't have to be scared to investigate the claims of the Bible. If it's true, it'll stand. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't back away from it um it, that's just a sign that you you don't really believe it's a, a revelation from God right but can we prove that the Bible is the Word of God well um, I, heard, I heard a preacher one time say a very good start to a lot of answers is it depends on what you mean by so it depends on, it depends on what you mean by proof <clears throat> um, and we'll talk more about that in, a, in later chapters. Um, but no matter how much evidence is presented, there's always got to be room for faith. Um, a reasonable faith, like there, there should be reasons that, that we should have faith. Uh, we've talked about that in a lesson a few months ago. Faith isn't just whatever you decide to believe, you believe it. You believe because there's a reason to believe the one that gave you the message. Right? He's, he's proven himself truthful, faithful, reliable in the past. Um, but there's got to be room for faith. There's not going to be such absolute proof that uh, somebody that wants to deny it doesn't have the choice to deny it. Um, if someone wants to not consider the Bible, to look at it, then they're going to be free to do that. There will be also room... For skepticism and uh, denying it okay so let's let's talk about dual authorship um, so what do we mean when when people say the bible is the word of god some people think that means that god gave it word for word like he he said these are the words to say in the beginning god created every every conversation everything paul wrote was word for word um, that was a common view. I think maybe when I was young and in uh, the, the church that I grew up in, I probably thought that's what was meant by that. And maybe it was, I'm not sure. That was my understanding as a, a child. Um, but that is not what it means that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, the, the different human authors that were used, they had different styles, different personalities. They use different uh, grammar, as said, even different languages. Um, for instance, Paul, he was logical and reasoned. You go through, like, Romans used to be used in law schools to teach, like, a, the, a very excellent example of logical progression on making an argument. Uh, but he shared personal feelings. You know, he, he described his concerns and pains and, and frustrations. Um, Mark, when he talked about Jesus, he, he, he used present tense. And G, Jesus, Jesus walks to the seashore or whatever, you know. He didn't say he walked. It's, uh, it's his own style, the way he did it. He wasn't very good in Greek, apparently. Like, it, you know, Luke had very excellent Greek, the top-notch, like it came from university, you know. Mark, not so much. His grammar was very strange. But God used all these different people, different styles and everything uh, to get his message across. So when we talk about inspiration, um, there are three kinds of inspiration. Some things they knew by ordinary means, right? Luke, how did Luke know what to write? He tells us, he he went and got eyewitness accounts, he interviewed people, he researched it, right? He was able to, anybody that had a mind to learn what Dr. Luke learned could have done it, right? If that was their goal, they could have gone around, found the people and interviewed them. Um, other people that wrote were eyewitnesses themselves another kind of inspiration is uh, God would give the the human authors the idea he would put it in their heart what was burning what the burden was and then he left them the freedom within the truth like God you know it wouldn't be allowed for them to write it if it wasn't true but they can they can use their expression to get God's message onto paper Um, and then there are times when God gave it word for word you know, when he told the prophet, "Thus saith the word of the Lord," and he tells them what to say, and then that's what was written down. Okay, so it's a combination of all these things. Um, if you don't think that God has revealed Himself, you'll you'll assume the Bible was written by humans. This is you see it all around you if you if you're around any. Body but the church crowd were around on Sundays, right? Um, a, a purely human book. They think it was just men's thoughts. Uh, miracles were ex- either exaggerations or just mythology. You know, men wanted to make it up. Um, they think it was written by only men, not God. And so the human authorship overshadows the divine origin. That's the one side. That's the worldly view doesn't think that God revealed himself. Then there's the other side. Um, people that don't want a historical or critical view of the Bible or examination of it we don't want to ask questions because that might put some doubt on the Bible don't be asking questions you know if, if it says it's the word of God then it's the word of God and if you if you ask why would we think that then then you're a heretic you're in sin and um, yeah afraid it would deny the divine authorship uh, the di- dictations here that we talked about that it was given word for word uh, so, the divine origin overshadows the human side. Um, Dr. Lutzer said, uh, you know, this, a lot of older fundamentalists and evangelicals would have thought this way, and that made me stop and think, am I an older fundamentalist? It made me, anyway. Uh, I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> so, it's dual authorship. The Bible is of God and of man. And that sounds a little strange, it sounds hard to understand, kind of like the Trinity's hard to understand. But think about this. Um, well, let's, let's talk about God's part. He was to oversee the writing of the books, right? It was, it was his project, he's, he's in charge, he's responsible in the end. And it was his job to reveal his will, his will to, to, the, to man, to the authors that pinned it down. Man's part was to write down the message in human style, human language, and to preserve God's message for future generations. Um, But don't humans make mistakes? If men wrote it down, couldn't they have messed up? Well, men can mess up, but that doesn't mean the Bible has flaws. So just because humans are fallible, does that mean that they can't make infallible statements? If I say... Ronald Reagan was at one time president of the United States. Is that, you know, that's true, right? It it comes to a point where we all agree on it. There's really no no argument from any rational person. So it's not a fallible statement just because I am a fallible person, right? So because it's written by humans does not mean that there, there must be errors in it and this is a great point i found it pretty fascinating just like christ was both fully god and fully human the bible is both uh, fully human and yet without error okay and uh, there's there's a chart here i tried to make everything big so you can read it but there's a lot here um there's you know this column if you can't see from the back christ and the bible a comparison they're both eternal Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was eternal. And the Bible, God said, Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. Both are conceived by the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, it says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Bible was also conceived of the Holy Spirit. In Second Peter, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Jesus and the Bible are both human and yet without error, right? Fully God and fully man, as you hear this, this taught. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He was fully human, even though he was fully God. And the scripture, it says, cannot be broken. Even though man wrote it, it's without error. They both have a unique authority. In Mark 1, it says, He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. There are a lot of other examples. You know, He he taught things that the Old Testament didn't teach. Um, So he had authority. The word of God has authority. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So when we talk about the word of god being infallible what does that mean infallible it doesn't just mean that it's free from error or that it's uh, an inspiring book um uh, let me sorry let me back up so you can have books that are free from error that are not inspired right if you have history books science books uh that they can be infallible if you will to not have error in their narrow Uh, range of subject Uh, but the Bible is inspired in that it's breathed out from God we'll talk more about that word later Uh, so it it carries the authority of God Um, it's not just inspiring that's not what inspired means at all Um, you can have poetry you can have uh, self-help books whatever things that are inspiring to read and there are parts of the Bible that are inspiring But it it doesn't matter if it makes you feel good or if it's exciting or whether you like it. It doesn't even matter if it changes your life. um, I mean, these things matter, but it doesn't influence whether it was given by God, right? Whether it was inspired. Um, Some people say the Bible is true for religious things, but then, you know, there's uh, science and history, and it's not really... It's not a science book or a history book, so we're not going to trust it on that, but you can, you can go to it for religious things, you know, about how to pray or, or things like this. Well, you can't separate the two. Is the resurrection of Jesus historical or doctrinal? It's both, right? It's a historical fact, but if you take it away because it's history, what are you left with? You're not left with Christianity, uh, right? Paul said if... If the resurrection wasn't true, you know, we're of all men most miserable. Um, so you can't separate it. Either the Bible's true or it's not. It, it's not true just for doctrine. And then uh, the very words are important. Not just the ideas, but the words. Words have meanings, right? We, we, we heard that a lot in recent elections and campaigns and and I don't even remember where that started, but words have meanings because in the last, I don't know, five years or so people are changing the meanings of words to suit their fancy. It's it's mind-blowing. You thought you knew what something meant and you talk about it and and all of a sudden it doesn't mean that anymore. Um, So words, wrong words can carry wrong meanings, so it it matters. Um, In Matthew 5, Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus said not even one little mark, you know, like not one cross of the T or dot of the I, we could think of it today, is going to pass away from my word, you know, until it's accomplished its task. It's going to be there. um, So it's not just big, broad strokes that are true. Uh, but we, we do know that um, the writers could choose their own words as long as it was true, uh, unless God said write it word for word this way. So we'll, we'll see that often topics are summarized. They don't record every detail or every word of a conversation. They just summarize it. Um, you'll see that when numbers are used, when they're counting things, they round just like we would today. Like uh, What's the population of America? I don't know. 320. 320 million. Is it like 320,000,000? No, but we can, we can talk this way, right? So just because numbers are rounded doesn't mean that it's inaccurate. Um, Descriptive language is used doesn't mean it's not scientific. If you talk about the sun uh, rises, the Bible says this. That doesn't mean it's teaching that the earth is stationary and the sun is, you know, rotating around the earth. It's just descriptive language like we would use every day. Okay, um, we are close to being out of time. Uh, so, yeah. So the Bible made a promise. And this isn't the whole thing, but uh, it's mostly from Psalm, it's all from Psalm 1 1 through 3. Think of this as a promise, like you've never read it. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. We're talking about God's Word, believing it, it is from Him. Uh, it's inspired of Him. We need to hold it as our authority. So this is a promise. If you read it, if you meditate on it, you will be blessed. You'll be firm and planted. Um, we have just another minute here. This is a quote, Erwin Lutzer attributed it to a man named Robert Chapman who I found was a preacher in the 1800s in England. Um, Nobody else seemed to know who it was from. They all said it was author unknown. But it's a good quote and I know the the writing is little so I'm I'm gonna read it. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers its doctrines are holy its precepts are binding its histories are true and its decisions are immutable read it to be wise believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy it contains light to direct you food to support you and comfort to cheer you it is the traveler's map the pilgrim's staff the pilot's compass the soldier's sword, and the christian's character here paradise is restored heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed christ is its grand object Our good is its design and the glory of God its end it should fill the memory rule the heart and guide the feet read it slowly frequently and prayerfully it is given you in life and will be opened in the judgment and will be remembered forever it involves the highest responsibility will reward the greatest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents okay there's a lot there um, but you won't remember this whole quote. You might remember something from it, but we want to take with us this idea, right? We need, we need to realize, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here teaching about the Bible and my Bible's laying over on the side. <laughs> I wanted so many times to pick it up and have a visual aid, right? But um, we, and I'm saying we, because I'm, I'm pointing at me, we need to appreciate the Bible more than we do. That's probably true no matter how much you appreciate it. I know for me, it's uh, really true. And I'm guessing that for many of us in this room, it's really true. Chris encouraged us last week to study it. If you have to get up early, whatever you have to do, love the Word of God and get into it. Um, just a couple more quick slides. George Whitfield said, God, is, God has condescended to become an author, and yet people will not read his writings there are very few that ever gave this book of God the grand character, grand charter of salvation one fair reading through. Okay, Voltaire, who is not a good Christian example for us, he said, this isn't a quote, but um, in general terms, he said, in a generation the Bible will be outdated. It'll be gone. Nobody will remember the Bible. And some of you know the rest of the story on that. Uh, well, it's not on here, but... After he died, um, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used it for their work to distribute Bibles all over Europe, okay? And, uh, you know, we still have the Bible today. Voltaire, you can look up stuff, but who cares? And then there's, there's, a, there's, there's a monument uh, to the Huguenots in France, uh, and it, in one part of it, talking about the Bible, there's this poem Hammer away, ye unregenerate hands. Your hammer breaks, God's anvil stands. The anvil being the word of God. Okay, that's all for today. Um, Next time, next week, hopefully, uh, we'll get into uh, reason number one, two, I don't know if maybe three also, of uh, the reasons we can trust the Bible. Okay, thanks a lot. See you next week.